Hi. <laughs> um, so can you tell me your job title? And in seven words, what is your job function? Okay. Um, I am a creative strategist on the sales team. And my job is to help advertisers develop the most impactful creative campaigns for their goals in our platform. Interesting. How, who are the clients? Um, or what types of, what so are the types of clients? My clients in particular, um, are high growth clients. Um, so companies that typically do have a lot of money to spend in marketing, but they're definitely in a, like a high growth stage. Um, so I work on the emerging team, um, air quotes. <laughs> and so I'm working with a lot of app clients. So for example, one of my, one of my verticals is dating apps. So those have all been my clients. Um, just went public like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, and so like up until then, they were just like spending as much money as possible to like get their numbers up in terms of how many people are using the app. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also have clients um, such as the New York Times um, who are really focused on getting people to subscribe to the Times. Um, and so I focus on companies that are that need direct response um, results. So people who are like actually registering or subscribing or taking an action within that same session. So if I see an ad, I swipe up on the ad and like download the app and sign up for a profile all within like a one week period from like that first touch point. Wow. Whereas, you know, we have another set, we have another team at, um, the company called the enterprise team. Those are the more traditional big name advertisers. So that's where you have just like, are just like amazing marketers and just like throwing a lot of money. And they're like, they obviously care about sales as well. Um, but they also care very much about their branding. And so they're just doing like, they're, they do more of like the very cool splashy activations. Um, whereas I'm working more on people who are like, they need the numbers to work. If they're not making money, they're not spending money. Uh, so it's like, right, that makes sense, sort of like brand response, where it's like, oh, you actually have to, there's action to take in mm-hmm. response to this thing I'm presenting to you versus something to just add to the lifestyle and brand of the product. Exactly. Um. So how did you, what is, so what is the decision to work for one team or the other? Like, how do you, yeah. Um, so I've been at the company for three years now. So when I started, um, we were not organized this way on the sales team. I, at the time, when I first started, I was working on the mid-market team, which again, was still like the high growth accounts. Um, And in terms of like how I got there, that just happened to be where there was an open position. Um, (laughs) And we went through like two reorgs since then, maybe two and a half reorgs. Um, And it just made sense for me to stay kind of on that track with like high growth clients. 
Um, so that's how I ended up on the emerging team. So it was really just kind of a business need situation. Um, at that time, they just weren't hiring anyone on the enterprise team. So, mm. so what, what exactly about the company is high growth? Like, how does it, like, what makes a company high growth? Yeah. So another one of my clients, for example, um, um, and right now, like, or I guess it's kind of quieted down a little bit since Uber Eats bought Postmates, but there was just like a food delivery war. Um, so these are pretty much like startup companies uh, that have a lot of potential to like to fill a gap, um, right? Like the food delivery. Um, and because of like the way that their business model is set up and like because of how much investments they have, they have like a ton of money to spend in marketing. Um, and they're really, really focused on just like having the most share voice because like DoorDash and Postmates essentially are um, providing the same service. The only differences are like the fees pretty much and like maybe which restaurants are on the apps. Um, it's just about like how much, how much advertising can you put out there? Um, so yeah, to get people to use it. So basically like we're focused on clients who like really, really depend again on those engagements and on getting people to like, to activate on whatever service or product it is. And like, I've been talking mostly about like apps and services. Um, but I also, within the emerging team, we also work with, um, like CPG goods as well, um, or direct to consumer goods. So for example, um, one of my clients, is, um, and so it's like Invisalign, but cheaper. Um, and you don't actually have to like necessarily go to the dentist. Um, and so like, that's actually, that's a real product, right? You like, you do your tooth, your tooth scan and they send you, um, they send you the invisible braces and you put them on. So like, I, I am working with clients like that as well, but again, like, when they're advertising with us, they're really, really focused on how many people are signing up to see if they're eligible for a small direct club. And you said CPG, what does that stand for? Consumer product goods. Gotcha. Um, so how, so what is your, so at what stage are you introduced to clients? Like, are you getting your own clients or what's the kind of flow that a client moves through potentially to get to your work with them? Yeah, so I work on an XFN team, which just stands for cross-functional team, um, which means that I am I'm like more of like a support staff to the sales team. So we, typically the people who own the account who are responsible for hitting quota um, and for like really managing the day-to-day -day stuff with the clients are the account executive and the account manager. So the account executive is really like pitching, like they're really selling. Um, and you know, they're putting together the presentations, like making sure that they're like able to provide, you know, insights onto like why Snapchat is the right company for them to like be advertising on all this, all of that type of stuff. Um, the account manager is the one who is managing the day-to-day -day stuff. Like once the client is on board and spending with us, they're the ones going into the system and saying, okay, like it looks like maybe like you need to change like how you're bidding or you need to change like what your budgets are for these different days, like, like the day-to-day -day maintenance. Um, and I'm there to like advise on all things creative. 
So where I get involved really depends. Um, it really depends. So within the emerging team, we have like thousands of clients. <laughs> we have a lot of clients. Um, the work that I do is pretty involved. And so like, I don't have the time. Actually, let me back up a little bit. Not every client needs the same level of creative support or deserves the same level of creative support. So an account executive, for example, they might have 20 accounts in their book. So 20 accounts that they're responsible for, you know, selling to, for calling on, for maintaining their day-to-day -day stuff. Um, however, five of those clients, they're probably not spending that much. Like they're still working on getting them to like a high spend level. They're like more in the introductory phases. Um, they have some basic assets, but it's like, it's not really worth getting another person involved to like, put in a ton of work and get like the creative in a great place because they're only going to spend a few thousand dollars so like it's kind of a wasted effort so I focus on like the focus accounts um or basically the top the tier one clients um and so for this AE that has 20 clients she will probably only have one or two clients that needs creative strategist support um and so like for one AE AM pair I only work on one of their accounts, um, but it's like a $20 million account in terms of how much they're spending every year. And they need a lot of creative support because they're doing so much with us. So um, at Snapchat, we have five different ad products. We have lenses, which are what people think of as filters, like where you have the doggy ears, you know, beautification, stuff happening in the world around you, uh, our augmented reality product. We have filters, which are actually just like when you take a picture and then you slide over, you can add like the time of day, where you are, the location and stuff uh, like that. The tag. Yes, exactly. Um, we have snap ads, which are the skippable ads that you have between your friend's stories. So if you're looking at your friend's stories, there's an ad that pops up, you could just swipe right through it. Those are snap ads. We have story ads, which are multiple snap ads basically strung together. Um, in our feed, in the Discover channel, Discover feed, uh, we can tap on the tile and get more of a story. Like a, so that's why it's called a story ad because you can get like three snaps put together to tell like a longer narrative. And then we have commercials, which only appear within like our Snapchat shows. So if you're watching like premium content on Snapchat, you'll see non-skippable commercials. So you have to watch at least six seconds of it to get through it. Um, so a lot of the top tier clients, they're really involved with like some or all of those ad products. Um, and because they're spending so much money, it's really important that their ads are working. And so they need someone like me to like go in and make sure that like the video um, is following our best practices in terms of how they're presenting the information about the product. Um, and like what I know resonates with the Snapchat audience. Like if I know that, you know, lately a lot of people have been talking about the Royal family or whatever, like I'm providing those insights and like showing and letting them know like what content would resonate with our audience. Mm. Um, and so I'm, I'm responsible for knowing each ad product basically inside and out and knowing the creative best practices for each. 
Um, so anyway, <laughs> to answer your original question, it really depends. Um, I do, um, I help pitch sometimes. So like if an AV is going after a new client, they can submit like a special request um, or a chip is what we call it. And they are like, this is a new client. They haven't spent with us yet, but there's a lot of potential. They're spending X million dollars on Facebook. So I know that they have money to spend on Snapchat. Mm. Um, I think that they're going to be convinced if we have some really cool creative ideas. Can you come to like, you know, this more intro initial meeting with us? Uh, so then I'll put together more of a pitch kind of presentation for that. Some, and then we have our, like our veteran clients who we've been working with for years at this point, but still like need a lot of creative support because like we, we just have that relationship. Um, and so like, I might get involved a little bit later. Like the AA will come to me like, hey, Shayna, like um, the client wants to do this new campaign around Women's um, History Month. Like, can you help us out with this? And then like, at that point, I probably have, a, I have a relationship with the client myself. And so like, I'll email them directly. I'll CC the AE and AM, but I'll, I'll like, I might take the lead on that conversation. So my clients, I have a relationship with the creative team and I'll take meetings with just the creative team and no, no one on the sales team. Um, or then sometimes it's a really low touch and like the AE will send me an email like, hey, can you just look at these videos and like, let me know what you think. I'll write it back to the AE and then they'll send it off to the client. Like I never even talk to the client. So it really, it really varies. Well, so then you are, or your role is like, is novel in terms of, it's like an additive to the pre-existing structure. Yeah, I'm like a consultant mm. in that way. I'm a consultant to our advertisers. I'm a creative consultant. Sure. So how, like, and you said that part of your role is to be like in touch with mm -hmm. what will resonate with the audience. Mm -hmm. How are you understanding that? Like, where does, like, how, like, how do you know what will resonate with the audience? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I think that for, <laughs> my team like the emergent team in particular it's a little bit different from the enterprise team um we have a lot of resources at snapchat like there are people whose job it is to like pull these insights out like they're listening to our consumers the snapchat consumer and feeding us that information um so it's just up to me to like to take um what does the consumer care about and how does that translate to what the advertiser is trying to do, right? Because you have the advertiser need, right? The advertiser needs to sell X amount of product. And then you have the consumer need, which may not be, you know, line up directly. The consumer maybe likes one feature of this product, but doesn't really see the value in it. So like I need to take part of their need plus what I know about their behaviors um, and like find what that message is to connect the two and get people, get our consumers to care about what the advertiser is selling and to like actually buy into it. Um, so anyway, so the insights information comes from like our insights team. Like we have a team doing that and like we have research doing that. We also have third parties <clears throat> doing that like eMarketer, um, Global Web Index, like they're pulling that information out kind of a macro level about, about like millennials in general or Gen Z or sometimes specifically about our platform. 
Um, and then because our advertisers care about direct response, we're actually able to like measure results of campaigns pretty immediately, like in our, in our ads manager platform. We can see like after the advertiser has been running a campaign for a couple of days for a few thousand dollars, whether or not it's doing well. Like we can literally, we can, okay, well, it looks like only one person has purchased, you know, has taken the survey or whatever. It's not resonating. And so we can look at it and say, okay, maybe like this is not working. Let's try something new. So it's very easy for my clients to like test and learn what works and what doesn't work um, because they're, like I said, like they're not going to spend a lot of money until we can see that it's efficient. Mm, sure. um, whereas on the enterprise side, you know, this is just an example. Coke might come in from the very beginning and say, we have $2 million to spend on this campaign. They'll set it all up at the beginning and then just spend the $2 million. And then you don't get the results until after. And so like, you can't, you have to like go in really strong. Like you have to go in knowing, you know, and hoping that it's really going to work. Cause after you, you set it up, there's not that much you can do about it. Whereas with my clients, you can kind of switch it up on the fly. Wow. So we're getting real-time feedback. Sure. So how much of your job is analyzing data versus like thinking of these ideas of what to, of what to execute for on behalf of the client? Not a lot of my job is analyzing data. Sometimes I wish that it was more. Uh, <laughs> but I consider myself actually, I, I wouldn't call myself a creative. Um, like that's not how I identify. Like I, I think I'm more of a numbers person. I, so I don't know how I got into this line of work, but um, yeah, a lot of it is brainstorming, um, putting together. I would say a lot of my work is more brainstorming and then strategy. So I'm not necessarily analyzing data, but I'm coming up with like plans for like which ad products make the most sense. Like how are they working together? And what does the creative look like for, for these different ad products? So then how did you get into the work? Like, right, you're a numbers person selling dreams. How did anyone get <laughs> How'd that happen? Um, when I first graduated from college, or when I, when I was in the process of graduating, so my senior year, I didn't know I really wanted to do. Um, I had an internship at Teach for America that I really loved. Um, and I was like, but I want to do something like more like fun. Um, and so were I, you teaching or what was it? No, I was on, I was on the like corporate recruitment team. So I worked on like recruiting people and on, and on part recruit recruitment partnerships. So like, I like helped handle the program that TFA had with Deloitte, for example, that allowed like people who got job offers at Deloitte to defer their start date for two years in order for them to work, to teach at TFA. So I just, I was like more managing like those relationships and stuff, um, which is fine. Cause you know, I like, I love the children. I care about education, but I don't know if I'm personally cut out to be a teacher. My patience level is really not there. Um, so, you know, I like to be education adjacent, I think is really where I, I flourish. Uh, <laughs> you know, I came up with a curriculum or two in my day, but, and then it sounds like, okay, I want to do something a little bit more spicy. Um, and so I did an internship at BET Networks. 
I was like, oh, this is fun. Like they flew, they flew out the interns to LA for a week to like basically be production assistants at the beauty experience. And we like, we went to concerts and we were just like living like the high life. <laughs> it was like, so I was like, oh, maybe I want like a more flashy job, I guess is better description okay but um, what was your actual work beyond the BET experience or was that the whole job that was my whole job um so I was on the B I was on the BET experience team um so my job was to work on marketing and sponsorships uh-huh. so I was helping to manage like some of the vendor relationships um that we had and also working on some advertiser stuff so like every event um at the BET experience was sponsored um, so Coke was probably our biggest sponsor. So there was like a Sprite, um, celebrity basketball game, um, and stuff like that. So like I was helping just like, it was, it was, I would say like 50% production and like event planning. Um, like we were literally like setting up like, okay, do we have all the artists that we need for, you know, this concert for this meet and greet? Um, so it was, it was basically like production. Um, and then part of it was, sponsorships I guess um I, I mean I was like an, I was really an intern so I was just doing like what they asked me to do the like, the where, like I put together like you know a binder for like that had all the talents in it I like put together like a fake spreadsheet that kind of like that tracked our ticket sales um why was the spreadsheet fake though I don't know what I was doing <laughs> uh, <laughs> You know, I was like, you know, tracking, um, basically, yeah, like the production budget and making sure that we weren't going over budget for like, um, you know, the sneaker expo or whatever, you know, stuff like that. Um, and I was like, oh, like, this is fun. Like, I like being in entertainment. Like, this is fun. And I was like, hey, what else do I like? And I was like, I love watching television. So <laughs> I started looking for like more media jobs. Um and I got a rotational, I got into a rotational program at NBC Universal. And I thought that was perfect for me because I still at that point, like didn't know really what I wanted to do. And I was like, oh, okay, like this is like three jobs in one. Um, so it was a one year rotational program. Um, and every four months you switched onto a different team, but it was all within the advertising sales organization. So I feel like a lot of people may have heard of the NBC page program which is where you're like, you know, you're like, you're wearing your little blazer and you're working behind the scenes at like SNL um, and stuff like that. So you're working more on like the shows and you're doing more production. Um, whereas ad sales, we focused more on the business side of things. Um, I went to business school. And so like, I was just, I was really trying to like find out where I can make the most amount of money. Um, and, in, <laughs> and in media, like, the ad sales team is is the revenue generating organization, right? Like things won't run without ads. Um, and so I was like, okay, that sounds great. Makes and like so <laughs> the page program paid literally like minimum wage, um, whereas the ad sales program paid like five more dollars an hour. So I was like, that sounds like more like my speed. Because um, <laughs> you know, I didn't have any money growing up, so I was like, I, I can't really be doing this minimum wage thing. Um, And so through those, I had three different rotations in there. One was pricing and planning. So that was more of numbers focus and literally like pricing out um, 
basically like planning out like how many commercial slots we had in each show over the course of like each season and each like kind of like in each quarter um, and making sure that we were hitting quota and like getting there and like doing what we could to like to get there and just like doing more of like the numbers and like there was there was some real excel work happening there um and then i did a rotation on the integrated marketing team and so that was more we were brainstorming just like coming up with ideas like oh like which celebrity should be in this lexus commercial um which show do we think would be right for this you know um, Amazon activation and just literally just like coming up with quirky ideas and like essentially like sometimes like writing scripts for commercials and things like that um, and put together and putting together presentations that would that would be pitched to different advertisers. And then my third rotation, I was a sales assistant um, for NBC Network, um, and I literally at that point in time, <laughs> I would literally be on the phone with advertising agencies who worked for the clients, right? So like um, Lexus, their agency was like Universal McCann. So like the agency is working on behalf of Lexus on different platforms, TV networks like NBC. And I would be on the phone with them and be like, hey, Lexus would like a commercial um, in The Voice. And I'd be like, okay, let me look and see. Okay, at 7.30, there's a slot in The Voice let me like, I literally would like drag and drop like <laughs> Lexus's name into that slot. So I was literally like putting on commercials on TV. Um, hated it. That was, was so terrible. Um, <laughs> out of those three, I was like, okay, I like the marketing one the most, integrated marketing. That was like the most fun. And you still like are you putting it together presentations and thinking strategically about like how you're presenting the information. Um, and so that's kind of what I focused on after that. So what, you said you went to business school. What was your major? Um, my concentration was management. And I minored in Hispanic studies, which was like essentially Spanish literature. Um, before I was in management concentration, I was a marketing and operations concentration. Um, but I decided to switch out of that because I couldn't choose the classes that I wanted. And by the time I decided that I didn't want to do those classes, it was already like junior year. And I, I had most of the classes for management. So I was like, okay, I'll just do that. But then it's, I mean, it, it gets like that. <laughs> but um, the, Wharton, the Wharton curriculum um, is set up so that in order to get a concentration, you only need four classes in addition uh, to the core curriculum. So like I, even though management was my concentration, I took multiple accounting classes, marketing, um, econ, finance. Like I took every single class because that's just, and everyone did. Right. Wow. And so how relevant is what you studied in college to what you're practicing now? Yeah, not at all, really. No, uh, <laughs> I will say, I will say that marketing classes are tend to be relevant to what you do in the real world in marketing like because you do a lot of case studies uh, or at least at, at Wharton we did a lot of case studies um, like HBS case studies for marketing and for management actually so you're looking at real world situations that happen so it is actually pretty helpful and like the 
systems you learn in marketing and like the way to think about things and like how consumers behave and et cetera, et cetera, like that those frameworks are pretty consistent in terms of like what you're doing in the real world. Did the assignments I did <laughs> really help like set me up for my day-to-day -day job at work? No, not at all. But I do, I will say like how we think about things actually was, was pretty relevant. Interesting. Uh, so then what does your professional development look like now? Like as you're like in your current job, if you're like, oh, I want to get better or I want to, yeah. <sighs> what do you, what do you, what resources do you call upon? That's a great question. I've been pushing Snap to like, really, I, I think I learn better with like um, more structured classes and like assignments. Um, Even though you just said that you didn't get none from the Yes. No, but I, I think I learned better from like, for, for this project, we want to see how you can X, Y, Z. And I'm like, okay, great. Like I have something to focus on versus like, I feel like now like our stretch projects are just like, you just get put on a bigger account that just like has more pressure, but you're not necessarily giving, you're not necessarily given guidelines on what to focus on. Um, so like, I know that for myself, I need to like be better at, I don't know, like being more enthusiastic about my work. No, but I do say be better about like being a seller. Um, mm. I I think I put together like very good presentations in terms of like what's in the actual deck. Um, like my key, my slides look good, but like when I'm actually presenting, I feel like I'm not like really like selling it. Um, so I need so I know that's something I need to work on. Um, so it's sort of like what tools am I using or like what resources it's really a lot of it is self-motivated which is probably why that's 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 the reason I do better with like assignments and like classes or like more structures because I guess I just struggle with being self-motivated if there's more accountability mm -hmm. then I will you know I don't want to let myself down or anyone else down um, and so it's easier for me to like to do better if there's, if I'm being held accountable. Um, we recently did, um, we had like a consultant, a strategy consultant come in um, and do a hands-on, as, as hands-on as you can be in a virtual setting, um, a series of sessions um, to kind of like refresh us on those frameworks, those strategy frameworks and like how we should be thinking about like pitching our clients. Um, and that happened because I asked for it. Um, I happened to be out of office. I didn't actually participate, but I will read up on those or like listen to the recording <laughs> when I get back. <laughs> I was like, is it recorded? Goodness. Um, so we have things like that. We do have a learning and development. What is it? It's called sales enablement. We have a sales enablement team at Snapchat. Um, whose job it is to make sure that like we are up to speed on all the skills that we need to do our jobs well. And so like they'll put out different trainings um, and different quizzes and stuff like that to make sure we're up to speed. Um, but then besides that, I go to like, I go to panels and webinars and just listen to other people talk about like their careers and how they think about the work. Mm. So then what types of panels do you feel like best reflect 
the kind of work that you do so like right like what websites what types of books or instagram accounts or youtube accounts or what what uh, what media are you taking in to sort of where are you going to get um from different like affinity groups um so there's like a a organization called ad color um and it's focused on like diversity in the advertising space um and so like groups like that um often like host events uh, where you'll hear panels usually from people that look like you um and like that's where I'm kind of like learning the most about how to get better like within your field and so like it's not necessarily like hands-on and like specific to what I'm doing every day but I guess a higher level on like how to level up in your career overall and like what like your next move is Mm. so what informs so then what informs the day-to-day or is that just sort of just that's probably you practicing it's me just practicing and, and getting better and to be honest, I think that like the lack of, I, I mean, I think there is a lack of like focus on development and um, and accountability, which is why I think might be one of the reasons that I am starting to get bored at my job is because I really have been doing the same thing for the past three years. Um, and I've gotten promoted within that time frame, but the work didn't change that much after I got promoted. Um, and so yeah, I do I do kind of feel a little bit stagnant at this point, to be honest. Mm. Maybe you're more Maybe. of a creative than you think. And like, and that's not to say that I'm <laughs> the best that I can be at my job. Like there's definitely things that I can do better. And I know what those things are. Um, but because I'm usually so busy, like actually getting the work done, I don't really have time to mm. take extra care to like address like those some of those points because like sure so then what did, because like oh sorry you know, i, I want to take more time on my presentation and make sure that the insights are really spot on and like you know that i'm developing a narrative and really setting up the story and making it sound amazing but then i have like 50 emails that i got in the last hour so it's like so i don't necessarily have time or space to do that Sure. So then can you, what does your day look like? So you clock in at what time? Um, and you can kind of, if you, if it's helpful, juxtapose this with sort of pre-COVID time, but like, yeah, what is the schedule of the day and sort of the task? Yeah, if done? we're thinking about pre-COVID, um, I typically work nine to six. Um, try to get into the office between, you know, nine and 10, <laughs> nine, like nine, nine and nine 45 or so, you know, getting, getting to the office before nine is a plus because you get breakfast before nine, um, at the cafeteria for free and oatmeal is very good. Um, but, and then I usually clock out by six. We typically schedule our meetings between nine and five um, and more like 9.30 and five. Um, And so like, I just try to get in before my first meeting of the day. 
Um, and before it's like too late. Like if I have a meeting at, if I first meet at 11 a.m., I can't get there at 11. Like I have to get there at least by 10. Um, but my, yeah, so like I don't necessarily have like a hard clock in clock out time. It's pretty flexible. If I like wrap up my work by five, I can, I'll, I'll leave at five. I don't have to leave at six. Um, you probably don't leave at four. That looks a little bit crazy. Um, so sometimes, you know, I, it is kind of for show, not going to lie. Um, me just sitting at my desk, like <laughs> tap, <laughs> tapping on the keyboard. Not that, mon- not that monkey meme. <laughs> um, so I get in, um, I typically start with, well, assuming that there's no meetings first thing in the morning, just checking my emails. Um, and so my emails are typically coming directly from clients or from the AEs and AMs that I'm working with. And those will be such a wide range. It'll be like maybe something that requires just an email response. Like, hey, like we want to we want to run these five videos for our next campaign. Can you take a look and let us know what you think? Do you have any concerns, any suggestions? And that might come from a client. So I'll, I'll spend like 30 minutes looking at that and responding to that. Um, or sometimes it'll be a bigger request from an account executive like, hey, Shana, we have this big um, quarterly business review coming up with XYZ client in like two weeks. Can we, what do you think about this agenda? Should we get on the phone to discuss? And then I have like, that takes a little bit more of just like strategic thinking and typically requires a phone call. Um, at my company, we love phone calls or like meetings in person or, you know, on video, on Google Hangouts. Uh, <laughs> and so I, I do spend, I want to say, seems like a lot, maybe four, at least four hours a day. At least, okay, around three to four hours on average a day in meetings. Um, so that's either on Google Hangouts or in person pre-COVID. Um, and so like some of those meetings will just be internal, just discussing next steps with an AE and AM, maybe brainstorming with other creative strategists um, about something. Sometimes we also have a lot of just like team-wide meetings. So like the creative strategy team will have a weekly meeting just to like share share cool campaigns that happen, provide, you know, like team updates, you know, we're going through different, different, re- or we just hired someone or there's a new org structure or what have you. Um, the chief business officer, which is like who we report to in the C-suite will give us an update on revenue numbers, give us, you know, a rah-rah on like what we need to do in the next couple of weeks to <laughs> reach our numbers. So like, there's a lot of those meetings as well. Um, and then some of them will be client meetings um, so either a weekly check-ins with the client, um, a presentation where either I'm leading or the AE is leading and maybe I'm just contributing, um, or maybe just like an intro meeting with the client. So it's really just kind of a mixed bag there. Um, okay. So I'm responding to emails, providing feedback on different assets. If I'm not doing that, if I'm not responding to emails and if I'm not in a meeting, I'm usually working on a presentation. Um, and so I'm putting together a deck, um, either in response to an RFP, which is a request for proposal or, um, maybe a proactive, um, campaign based on an upcoming holiday or something. Um, and so like I'll do those decks will include 
slides from like our master narrative. So like we have a, a team that works on just like, this is what the Snapchat sales narrative is. So you take some of those slides as kind of like your base and then you add more that's specific for that client. Um, and so that'll include like specific ideas, again, a specific strategy and like what they should be doing based on what you've discussed their goals are, um, you know, what the time period is for their campaign, et cetera, and putting together a deck for that. Um, and then sometimes I'm actually helping to develop assets. So besides like presenting, pitching, providing feedback, sometimes we actually develop video ads and lenses for our clients. Um, because Snapchat is like the leader in augmented reality. Um, and up until I would say last year, developing lenses is hard, has been hard. Like you need a very special skill set to do that. We will be the ones to come up with the idea. Creative Shadows will, will come up with the idea for what the lens should be. And then actually work with the engineers on our lens team to make it. Um, so that takes a, a good chunk of time as well. Um, these days we've democratized AR. And so like anyone can, can download Lens Studio on their computer and make their own, their own like doggy lens. Um, I actually did one last week. Um, you don't need to be a designer to do it. It helps if you are. <laughs> it helps if you know 3D modeling. Um, but it's gotten a lot easier for people to do it. So that's kind of changing too. And I usually take an hour long lunch. Um, we do have a cafeteria on campus um, in the LA office. And so you walk to the cafeteria, it's like a little seven minute walk away, eat your lunch and then walk back. Is it that big, the campus? It's like it's seven minutes building. sounds like a lot. By the time me. you get down the stairs, oh. you walk across to the other building. Yeah, it's, you have to walk across like two parking lots. Yeah. So do you eat that? You do eat lunch there every yes. day? Sometimes, you know, if your day is packed, you, you have to take it to go. But I've never gotten delivery at the LA office. I don't even, I honestly don't even know how to do it. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know why I would deliver it. But. Wow. Are there no eateries nearby? There are a couple, but um, lunch is free. So it's like, oh, I could, I could just, it'll be easier to get a deliver, but I'm like, oh, but like, it'll be $20 cheaper if I just get up and go get it <laughs> not be lazy. We also That's have, um, we also have two cafeterias. So you have options. It's like, oh, this menu is not looking good. You just go to the other place. Or sometimes you go to both, which is why it takes an hour. Cause it's like, ooh, I want the tacos from this place, but they have sorbet at the other one for dessert as well. <laughs> Do they have like a menu online or you have to just There's go in online? So it's like, all right, guys, where do you want to go today? And then, you know, sometimes the group is split and like some people want to go to this place. Okay, well, y'all just meet us at the other place because I don't want that nasty ass chicken. Um. <laughs> wow, you are living That's life. That's the lifestyle. Um, okay, so can you talk about what else, I, like, how work informs the rest of your life. So you mentioned sort of pretty comfortable nine to six range. Is that sort of reliable or do you find yourself like there are seasons or just particular days where you might be working like much longer than that? Like, is there 
like do you have to travel a lot like do you those kind of those kind of things in terms of like time expectation from work to yeah the rest of your I would say for the most it's relatively reliable um I will say I do I would often take my laptop with me take my laptop home with me um and so like there might be a couple things that I do at home I personally more often than that will take my laptop with me like just in case um but typically like I wouldn't open it when I got home even on the weekends I would take my laptop home on the weekends like oh I'll I'll just you know if I didn't finish it on Friday I'll just finish it like on Sunday don't open it at all um but I do know other people who are this is again pre-COVID um, I do know other people who would actually like do a lot of work at home. I was just not one of those people. I just don't have the strength in me to do that. Um, I did travel a lot for work. I would say on average, maybe one to two times per month, I would travel to a different city to do a client presentation. Um, so I would travel most often to San Francisco, um, which is a quick flight, sometimes to New York, which is a long flight. I uh, volunteered to do the New York trips because I'm from New York. And so I would take it as an opportunity to like visit my family. So sometimes I would like, you know, the, the meeting would be on Thursday. So I would just book my flight from Thursday to Sunday and just stay the weekend in New York. Um, and it would be, the company would only pay for like one night at a hotel. Um, and so then I would just stay with my family the rest of the days. Um, and I actually was able to extend my, some of my, my work trips to other cities as well. So for example, I had a client based in Austin, Texas. Um, and so again, the meeting would be like on Monday, but I would fly in on Friday, have the weekend to explore and then, you know, fly out, you know, Monday night or on Tuesday. Um, and so I would just pay personally for like that extra one or two nights at the hotel. Um, and sometimes I would invite a friend along um, and like, so I would like make a trip out of it and we would split that hotel costs. And it was like a fun thing. Um, and, you know, the company pays for your meals and stuff like while you're working and while you're on the road. So sometimes you were able to like make it a little bit more fun. But, you know, for things like San Francisco, when you've been there a couple of times and like you may not like the city very much, um, traveling for work does get very tiring um, because typically these meetings are in the middle of the week. It's like it's not always easy to, easy to schedule it for a Friday or for a Monday. It might be a Tuesday or Wednesday mm. and you're, you're still working, right? Like having a meeting on Wednesday for one of my 15 clients doesn't stop the work for my other 14 clients. You know what I mean? So like mm. if I have a meeting on Wednesday, I'm working all day Tuesday, packing up Tuesday night get on the plane trying to answer as many emails as possible before the meeting, having a meeting, working on the airplane, and it gets a little bit exhausting. Um, so it's, it was kind of a hit or miss. Sometimes you can make it fun. And sometimes it was just like, I just would like to stay home <laughs> and just go to work at the office. I feel that. I feel that. I feel like that is sort of a, the catch with traveling for work. It's like, sometimes mm -hmm. you're like, dang, like, this is not really in and, my, this isn't really job. Right. And I'm not a, I'm not an hourly employee. And so like, 
being on an airplane for six hours, you know, to New York and working, like that's not fun. It's not really a, a great work environment. It's stressful. And I'm not really getting paid any extra do it. And so like, as an employee, like it's easier for me not to travel during work hours, right? Cause like, it's just going to pile up. Like I'm missing emails. Like, I can't be on, mm. on different calls. So like, I'll travel after work, but I'm like, but wait, this is my personal time. Like why I'm on an airplane to go to a meeting at 6 PM. Like this is supposed to be like when I'm having, you know, my personal time. So it could bleed into that a little <laughs> bit sometimes. And like, because I'm not south and because I'm not hourly I don't get overtime or anything like that sure um so then if I mean are you comfortable sharing a range in terms of salary and if not can you talk a little bit about like adding on to lifestyle Mm -hmm. like do you have to like I don't know, live in a cruddy mm-hmm. apartment? Like, do you, like, with a bunch of roommates? Like, is it, like, you're eating ramen by yourself most <laughs> nights? Like, yeah, so we think about, like, how work, how work helps you to power mm-hmm. what you can afford. Yeah, so tech companies pay very well in general. Um, Snapchat recently adopted, um it's called a um, minimum livable wage. Um, and so no one at the company in the United States makes less than $70,000 a year, no matter what your job is. Like that's the minimum, that's, that's Snapchat's minimum wage. Um, <clears throat> so this, I would say the engineers probably make the most money at Snapchat. Um, I currently make, um, my base salary is currently $95,000. Um, and I get a 25% commission. Um, and so like, if I, my, I, so I technically do have a sales quota, but it's a more general number. It's tied to like a team goal and like a company goal, whereas account executives have like an individual goal. Um, and so like, if my team reaches hundred percent of the quota, um, then I get 25, a full 25% of my base salary as a bonus on a quarterly basis. The bonus is taxed at 50%. Um, so, you know, that's something to keep in mind. It's still a bonus, which is great, but, you know, not quite the same as the base salary. So, yeah. Um, and then I also get equity. So right now, we recently went through like a, a remodel on how we're compensating people. We're doing on a, on a market basis. Like we're trying to be competitive with other tech companies within our industry. Um, so that's how we came up with the numbers that we have now. For equity, people in my position specifically get $10,000 in equity every year, um, but that vests over a four-year period. And so if I get $10,000 this year, I only see like 2,500 of it by the end of the year in equity, in stocks specifically. And that also. Mm. So what happens to the other 75? You, you, you get it as the longer you stay at the company. So at the end of the four years, you'll get your full 10,000. Oh, okay. you're continuously getting grants. But- so it's kind of like, you know, so like year zero, they give you a grant. Um, 
by year one. Actually, you know what? I don't even know if that's. Yes, I think this is true. Okay. Year zero, you get the 10K. Year one, you have 2,500. Is that good math? Yes. But then year one, you get another 10K grant. And so at the end of year two, you get an additional 2,500 from your first grant, the second 2,500 from your first grant, but then the first 2,500 mm -hmm. from your second grant. So it's like a like a scaffold type of situation. Sure, sure, sure. Okay. So wow. how, with that being said, when I was first hired at Snapchat, um, I was an hourly employee and I was getting paid. My starting salary was $30 an hour. And I did work over. Huh? That's a lot. I have a it lot. is. That's a lot, it no? Is. Well, I guess it's, I guess a lot it's is relative, relative as well. I'm like, I feel like I've never heard of, I feel like I've max, I've heard of people making 20 yeah. hours. So when I first started, I was well, making $30 an hour and I was getting overtime. Um, and I often work more than 40 hours a week. Um, but we do, but at my, that position is called a creative specialist. So it's, it's one level below strategist. Um, creative specialists did not get the bonus. There's no 2,500, 25% bonus. Um, and the equity grant that I got at that time was $7,500 um, that was gonna vest over four years. And there was no, there were no additional 7,500 the way that there is now. So I personally think that I got cheated, you know, pennies compared to what other people got that I know of. The other numbers that I was hearing were kind of like, I heard of an account manager who started like around the same time as me getting $50,000 in equity. So, you know, I really oh, wow. felt <laughs> that I was cheated at that point in time. Um, and have I gotten over it? No, not yet. Um, but, you know, we, we've moved on up in the world. So I guess I can't be, my salary is nice now. Wow, that's interesting. I would have thought that when you were talking about numbers, I was thinking, you said the person started with you at the same time. But before then I was like, but I was like, oh, like if you, cause 10K two years ago, right? For Snap is different from 10K now. The stock price yes. has gone up a lot. So it's like the earlier you're in, the early, like the more, the value, that hopefully, right? The value yes, increases. Correct. Um, but no, they start the same time as me. So, uh, I mean, you know, with that, it is good. Like 7,500, I think when I started was like the stock price is like $17 and now it's, I haven't checked recently, maybe close to 60. Actually, I don't know. So it has, you know, multiplied, <laughs> but still it could have multiplied more. <laughs> <laughs> you better get them ads up. So I was just doing some math. So when I was do when I was a specialist, if we just do base salary, no overtime, it was 62,400 mm -hmm. 62, on a yearly basis, assuming 40 hours a week. Pre-tax. Pre-tax. Pre-any taxes. Well, yeah, I think you made a good move. It sounds like leaving <laughs> education because those salaries are not there. I can tell you that. Um, so yeah, so like when I talk about lifestyle, I would say like 
the perks that I get at the company itself are really nice. Um, like, I feel like, I think I learned as an older person that health insurance actually is super important. And like what type of insurance you have matters. Cause like people go to the doctor, like, mm-hmm. and it's just, I feel like when I was younger, I used to just think, oh, health insurance, period. Like we have health insurance, but no, no, no. What type of health insurance do you have? Cause like those health bills really be adding up. Um, who's in the network? Uh, exactly. Who's in the network? Who's in the network? What does it cover? Our specialists are doing, do you need a referral? Like it's like a lot of questions that go into it. Snapchat has amazing insurance um really great insurance and then on top of that they give us like so many other like health related benefits uh we have a program that gives us 25 therapy sessions a year and so like for free no copay um and so like i'm able to like do my therapy through that program without even having to touch my you know anthem insurance um and then they also provide fertility services. Um, and so Snapchat provides, like reimburses you up to $40,000 in fertility treatments. So you could get your eggs um, Yeah, so I'm looking frozen? into possibly doing that this year. Not because I am worried about that or whatever. It's just like, well, if they're paying for it and like, I can. <laughs> Well, I mean, you, I might bust a move, Snap. I'm like, I'm really, I'm, I'm learning um, a lot. And then on top of that, if you, I, I forget the exact numbers. I'm going to give the lower range. I think you also get another $60,000 in surrogacy services. So if you need to hire someone. Wow. Um, on top of that, or like related to that, if you add up all the mat leave, I think you get, it's either five or six months of mat leave. And then um, the non-birthing parent gets, I believe two months of leave, parent parental leave. Wow. Um, and then just on top of that, we have like, we get reimbursed $150 every quarter for fitness things um a quarter (laughs) and that's new with covid that's new with covid um before they gave us we had like memberships to 24-hour fitness oh so that was so if you didn't go to 24-hour fitness you didn't get if you didn't go to 24-hour fitness you didn't get anything but now that we're at home, obviously they, they're giving you like the option to do what you want. Um, and then I mentioned the food services already when I was in the New York city office. So I transferred from New York to the LA office. since so I have experience in both offices. When I was in the New York office, um, we, they don't have a cafeteria there. <clears throat> and so they gave you meal cards that you were able to like use to buy lunch. And they were basically like prepaid like prepaid cards essentially um, that reset every month. And those were $320 a month. Yeah. A month. And so if you divide that by like a 20 day work month, it's like $16 a day for lunch. 
Do you know how many halal trucks you can go to for that equivalent? Please. Wow. Um, yeah, you really rattled me. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, but okay, onward. How is success measured in your industry, in your field, in your job versus how do you measure it oh, for yourself? That's a great question. Um, you know, for my job, you we actually have numbers. Like it's all about revenue. Um, and so you, you know, the leadership management is setting out revenue goals at the beginning of every quarter, beginning of every year. Um, and so like your job is to reach those numbers. And if you're not hitting them, then you're not doing well. So it's pretty easy to see like what's going wrong, what's going right. And you also like, we're also keeping track of input. So like, let's say, um, I've met with my clients four times, um, this week we've talked about X, Y, Z, but like, for whatever reason, the client just like couldn't spend because of like external factors, like maybe they, something happened within their company that'll be taken into account. So like, you know, you don't have control over everything. So like, if you were supposed to get that client to spend $50,000, but they could only spend 25, but like you did everything that you could to try to get there, then, you know, there will, there will be, there will be some understanding. Um, but overall there are numbers to hit. So like, it's pretty easy to measure success. Um, with that being said, um, at the company specifically, our performance reviews have actually been more focused on how you're doing the work versus the numbers. So like, are you exhibiting the values of Snapchat, which are kind, smart, and creative? And then we have like a subset of like what each of those means. And so like our performance reviews are actually more tied to that than they are to the revenue numbers. Um, and so like the way that we're structured now, your performance review, and how well you do on like those like softer metrics will impact your base salary. Whereas if you're hitting the actual revenue numbers impact your bonus, cause that's what the 25% is focused on. So it's kind of a, a dual thing there. Um, in terms of like your career overall, like in this industry, I think that like you're able to like get exposure um, if you're working on campaigns that are picking up press um, and so like, it's always great, like when your campaign ends up in ad week or even like a more general publication. Um, and also there are tons of advertising awards. So there's like the can awards, um, ad week also has awards, um, Clio's, et cetera. So like they're actually awards given for different advertising campaigns. And like, that's always good to add to your resume. Um, so it's like how am I measuring success for myself? Um, I think that like, what I'm trying to do is like, just become a good marketer um, and learn as much as I can about just this industry overall and be able to like speak intelligently about it. Um, and I think that like my next step and where I would like, how I would feel successful is if, if I'm able to like take these skills that I've learned um, and apply them to something that I think matters a little bit more in the world like that's more socially impact focused um and i think that success would be able to like take these skills these connections um and use them in just a more socially 
important way. Gotcha. So social yeah. responsibility mm-hmm. focus. Gotcha. You mentioned advertising, you mentioned technology. Do you feel like marketing? What do you feel like there are things that you've either had to elevate or suppress as you navigate your career and work experience and even the work product? Mm. Mm. Interesting, interesting. In terms of like my skill set. Whatever applies. <laughs> um, I think that I've had to work. Like I said, like I'm, I don't, I really don't think that I'm a creative. Um, and so, like, I've had to like work on like coming up with like net new ideas, and like I've become very good at brainstorming because um, I recognize in myself that like I am not the person to like break the internet from some like crazy idea that I had all on my own but I am very good at putting pulling people together and getting great ideas from like a group brainstorming session Um, so like that's one skill that I've had to elevate is just like figure out how to be that creative that my job requires Um, and sometimes I feel I really do feel like an imposter um, and I'm like, <laughs> I really like, what am I doing here? Like, I don't have like these funny, like, or like, or fun, quirky ideas or like, in, you know, innovative out of the box, like never been done before stuff like that just doesn't like come to my brain all the time as it relates to marketing, as it relates to, sorry, as it relates to advertising. Um, I, you mm-hmm. know, there's, I think there's other ways that I'm creative, but like in this specific field, like that's been kind of like a challenge for me. And I do sometimes feel like who do I think I am doing this job? Um, In terms of like what I've had to suppress, I don't know. What I've been struggling with, struggling with recently is really just this idea that like people don't like ads, right? Like no one likes ads. So like if we could all choose to be absolutely, you probably would. Um, and so spending so much time on energy on something that like, I just don't know that people care about. And just like looking at how much money is spent on these different activations and just thinking like, wow, like this one campaign could do so much for so many people. <laughs> like millions of dollars are spent on lenses that like turn your eyes a different color and make your hair longer like you know it's just like who cares like there's so much money that goes into this business um so I think I've had to like suppress my just like frustration around that or like reconcile what I'm doing with what I actually care about Interesting. Um, do you feel like there are personality pieces as well? No, I don't think so. I think that I've had to. No, 
Um, sales is kind of a scrappy business. Sometimes it's tough business and you have to be, you have to be loud. You have to be, you know, say what you mean and say it loud. Um, and you also have to have like a bubbly kind of personality. You have to have a bubbly personality, but you have to like be able to like socialize with people. And I think I'm pretty good at that, to be honest. Um, my patience isn't very high, as I mentioned before. Um, and so like when there's a lot of back and forth on something or like the client just like, you know, in my opinion, like maybe isn't making the right choices. It is difficult to just be like, can you <laughs> to like to not just be like, like that's not smart because you you have to like be catering to them, but also trying to do like the best thing for them. And like, sometimes they themselves can't see what the best thing is. And so I have to like check myself. I'm like, mm. are y'all dumb? Or like, what's happening? Um, but <laughs> what's going on? Um, but that's really the only thing. Um, I will say that I can see how like for other people who maybe are not as, um, I don't know, I guess I'm outgoing. I don't know if I'm really an outgoing person, but I am social, I guess. For people who are not as social, like I do see that they have to push themselves to be that way and to be on. Because you have to always be on, which can also, which can be tiring. Yeah. Um, is there anything I didn't ask you? Um, I will say like one other thing that I forgot to mention about what I like about Snapchat and kind of like what keeps me at the company, I will say is being part of the affinity groups at Snapchat has meant a lot to me. And um, I've been able to actually dedicate time outside of my day to day work <clears throat> to supporting different projects for those different groups. And like that's probably what has brought me the most joy over the last three years is like working with like Snap Noir, which is our black affinity group and Snap Familia, formerly known as Lost Snaps, um, which is our um, Latinx affinity group. Um, and like, I've been able to like do some really cool projects with them using the skills that I learned from my creative strategist job um, and using like, you know, the connections I have with different people and stuff like within the company to execute those projects has been the most rewarding. Um, and I think that like, mm. as I try to figure out if I'm gonna make a move to a different team um, is really at least like leaning on like getting my manager on board to like allow me to spend more time on those projects, on those affinity group, on that affinity group work versus the day-to-day. -day. And in my most recent performance review, um, there was a question about how have you like contributed to like making Snap a more inclusive company? Um, and I was able to like in my performance review, like write a lot about that. And I, I just, I think that it's great that I'm actually being recognized for that work, um, even though it is outside of my, my remit, as it says on my job description. There's a lot of conversation around sort of being black in tech, being a woman in tech, being a black woman in tech, woman of color. Is it that bad? Is it as bad as the media makes it seem? It really depends. I personally have not had bad, like the, 
too many bad experiences, but my team is probably the most diverse team at Snapchat. Um, and so mm. I think that I just got lucky. Um, but I can, I can see what the other teams look like. And I can totally see if I was in that situation, that it would be a lot harder. Um, and also just the nature of my job, like creatives, I just like tend to be like more open-minded and like a little bit more like progressive and liberal, like it's just a little bit more, you know, um, there's not that many of us, um, up until, up until pretty recently, I was the only black woman on my team um, within the United States. And my team had about 50 people in the United States. Um, so that was just kind of a lot. <laughs> and then when I got promoted, I was the only black creative strategist. Um, we hired a couple of people since then. Um, so I'm not the only one, but it was like that for a while. And to be honest, we've done a, a lot of hiring recently, but as of, I want to say as of Q4 of last year, as of last fall, there were no black account executives in the United States. And there are like four times as many account executives as there are creative strategists, maybe probably more. There's like hundreds of them. Um, and for not a single one of us to be black, man or woman, is very, is <laughs> very, or gender non very difficult. Um, um, the Lionx numbers are even worse, which I, <laughs> like we're headquartered in Los Angeles and we have very few Hispanic people that are, yeah. So very crazy there. Um, with that being said, the very few of us are tight, so that helps. Um, mm. I will say, though, from what I've heard from other people um, and I've read, Snapchat has done a pretty, a pretty decent job within, you know, the past year, just like every other company all of a sudden woke up to racism in June of last year, like, oh, gosh, racism. Um They've actually done, you know, they've, they've actually done a pretty decent job of getting some stuff done since then. I'm not going to lie. Like, yes, it could have, it should have happened before then. It shouldn't have even been a problem to begin with, but like comparatively, I think they did pretty well. I, I really do. Um, and so like that made, that also like makes me like want to stay at the company. I mean, that's good that you stand behind your company. I think a lot of people... Yeah. cannot or don't feel comfortable doing so so i mean this has been illuminating i may need to get my <laughs> resume together uh, <laughs> oh but sick thank of you course. so much